crazy birds. Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Canal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that if we do not change our habits by 2050, there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish? This is due to our quick and convenient use of items like plastic bottles, bags, food packaging, and single-use drinking straws that find their way into our oceans. Our guest today is the Managing Director of ASRAC. She's a qualified journalist that started her career as a radio journalist before working as a media advisor for the Commonwealth Government of Australia, after which she moved into a not-for-profit sector. She has been instrumental in organizing national and international rallies against the use of drumlines and shark nets in Australia. She started up her own association, No Shark Cull, and started working for Sea Shepherd Australia on marine conservation. After moving to the United Arab Emirates in 2016, she has focused her attention on marine conservation issues in the Middle East and North Africa region and started a not-for-profit organization, ASRAC. Crazy birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Natalie Banks. Thank you, Mariska. What a welcoming. <laughs> it's great to be able to speak with you about my passion today and hope that we can really get some messages out that change um, some people's behaviour and create awareness. That is wonderful. That's exactly what we are trying to achieve. And on that, how did your journey on marine conservation actually start? So I was a late bloomer to actually entering the waters in terms of our oceans. I was a person who always had swimming pools. So we didn't went as a family going to the beach as much. I also grew up in a town called Melbourne in Australia, where there isn't as warm as what it is on the west side of Australia or particularly what it's like here in Dubai. So I actually met my now husband uh, who introduced me to and made me more comfortable in the ocean in terms of snorkeling particularly at the age of 28 and it was the first time that where I felt comfortable putting a snorkel and mask on my face and and being able to actually go into the ocean where I saw a world that I didn't even know existed and I fell in love with it from the first instance that I was there I took my breath away and I couldn't wait to be being able to do it again each time that we had the opportunity I wanted to go to the beach and I wanted to snorkel and so on our trip, we were on our trip in Western Australia, up to the north part of Western Australia, and uh, to a place called Coral Bay. And as beautiful as it sounds, it's as beautiful as that place is. And we went on a snorkeling trip to an island not far off Coral Bay. And on that snorkeling trip were some divers. As I'm snorkeling on the top of the surface, I'm watching these divers get down. And as they've risen from their 45-minute dive, say, they were full of all the things that they had seen, which I hadn't been able to see as a snorkeler. The very moment we got back from that holiday, I signed up to become a diver. Fate would have it. My first open water dive was with a whale shark, as far south as that whale shark had travelled. And it was fate because it changed my life. Uh, it, that encounter 
just created a movement inside me that I wanted to know more, I wanted to protect more, I wanted to understand more this world that I had fairly newly been introduced to. And I quickly went on to become a scuba diving instructor, became a shark specialist in terms of the scuba diving side of things. And the more I was in the water, the more it gave me life. And I knew that this was where I was meant to be headed, somewhere along marine conservation. Oh, very inspirational. Mm. And talking about sharks, 100 million sharks are killed every year, either by bycatch from fishing vessels or directly caught for their fins. What effect does this have on our ecosystem and how big a role does these sharks play in it? Yeah, so that's a, a really sad statistic when you think about it. Our sharks really feeling the impacts of commercialization of fishing and I guess wanting to meet a demand, particularly in the Asian countries where, where shark fin soup is revered and it once was for people who had a lot of wealth. However, the, the modern Asian countries have now been able to increase their, their wealth uh, substantially. And so it's no longer seen as a specialty dish. It's something that they can easily afford. And so now it's for banquets at weddings and things like that, very easily accessible. And so it's seen as a status symbol rather than uh, something that we once sustainably were able to manage. And these sharks, which is now something that I have grown a passion for and I love to see, and there's 500 different specialties or species of sharks. Keystone species, they actually are what we call, there would be a trophic cascade or a domino effect when you remove a shark out of, its, out of the ocean. And this has been seen in places like Mexico and Jamaica, where you have had the larger fish that sharks usually would prey on be able to proliferate. And then they impact the smaller fish that are trying to then keep our oceans healthy by nibbling away at the algae on the coral reefs. And so in Jamaica, they've got a massive issue with algae on coral reef beds because you don't have the sharks keeping the larger fish at bay, which keep the herbivorous fish at bay. And so you have this domino effect. Also, too, sharks are, we used to call them the doctors of the sea, but they actually will prey on the sick and the ill fish first because they're an easy target. So they're keeping the oceans healthy that way as well. For those that consume fish and eat fish, then they've already taken the, the bad fish or the sick fish or the ill fish out. And that's because of the way that they're able to use their sensory systems to, to prey easily on food, particularly sharks like tiger sharks, which are quite known as scavengers rather than hunters like a white shark is. I absolutely love sharks and to know that they're in, we've got some species of sharks that are now down 95% in that species range in terms of existence, being able to be wiped out potentially by only a few more years if we continue on the path that we're currently on. And so in some of those places where sharks have been fished out, you're seeing dead zones in the ocean, which impacts human health. And this is the vital thing that people often forget, is that every second breath that humanity takes, and there is billions of us, we are grateful to the oceans for that, for the health of the oceans for that, and we're grateful to the keystone species for keeping those oceans healthy. And a keystone species, a key current stone species, I'll say that one again, a key keystone species is the shark. That's why I've been on a, a journey in raising awareness in terms of the importance of sharks in our ocean. Yeah, it is extremely important, and you get 
a lot of places have now gone out where there's been shark attacks and they've just said, okay, we call all the sharks above a certain, you know, size. And if you think of that, you know, in 2017, there was only five fatal shark attacks. So if you look at the 100 million sharks that was called, that's about 20 million sharks for every single person. That for me, I just feel that is wrong. I mean, I feel when people go into the ocean, you know, you kind of go into their territory and that kind of comes with it. And you've been very actively involved to stop shark culling and also all of these nets. And how's that journey been and how's the progress been? So like you just said, it feels wrong. And that was my first instinct that I had when uh, the state that I was living in, Western Australia, wanted to start a culling program whilst I was living there and diving there as well. So that's where I initially came from. But the further I dug into the issue, I actually realised that there is no science whatsoever that says that culling sharks will actually increase the safety of beach users. They had done it in Hawaii for tiger sharks for 18 years and there was no change. Over 4,600 tiger sharks were killed and there was no change in shark attacks prior, before, during, after, nothing. It stayed the same. And so it purely is a political stance that a lot of governments will turn to as, as almost like I used to say, it was a knee-jerk reaction. They, needed, they felt like they needed to do something and that the best way to placate the people who are extremely fearful of sharks, and that's something that we also need to be mindful of, there are three species of sharks that create a lot of fear in people particularly, which are the ones with the serrated teeth, so the bull shark, the tiger shark and the white shark. And that is a primal fear for beach users thinking that they could dip their toe in and have that toe completely and utterly taken off by, you know, a predator just waiting and lurking under the waves. And as I'm saying this, I also need to think about the role that the media has played in terms of creating that image. Because when I dive with sharks, that never happens. I've dived with white sharks. I've dived in a cage with white sharks in on the bottom, not at the top. Uh, so I've gone down to the, to the bottom of the ocean. And I had about five sharks around the cage at the time, completely and utterly placid and majestic. And there was no big shining teeth gleaming or, you know, any sort of like ding off the teeth or any sort of sound effects that I could hear in the ocean. It wasn't as though their mouths were agape, as though they were going to try and attack. They were just minding their own business. And I believe that when I was there, that they would have followed the same behaviour whether I was there or not. So the media has played a massive role, which has also impacted the political view of what to do when there is a shark attack. And as you said, five shark attacks in a year, you have got more chances of being killed driving to the beach than being actually attacked at a beach by a shark. The statistics and the facts are one thing, and that's what I've had a lot of in terms of shark conservation, but I also need to outweigh that over a huge emotion, which is fear. And that's very difficult to change, but facts and understanding does help, and that's what I've been doing for the past five years, is raising the facts about sharks. And I find that people who are very fearful of sharks have a huge misunderstanding. 
Yeah, I do believe that. And I feel, you know, like you said, I had a similar experience where I was face to face with a great white. And, you know, when you look that animal in the eye and I kind of, there was like this peacefulness because you just see that they're just going about doing what it is that they do on a daily basis. Yeah. So, And humans are not part of their normal food. It is a curiosity. They usually do an inspection bite, unfortunately. When you've got a white shark doing an inspection bite, that causes a lot of issues. But we need to keep on the fact that humans are not a target. It is, unfortunately, a curiosity test bite, which causes the damage, which causes the fear, which then creates this something needs to be done mentality particularly up to the politicians and the scientists unfortunately their voices are drowned in that argument because fear takes over so from the 100 million sharks that's being killed annually we look at some of the plastic bottle statistics as well with the ocean and currently the rates are 1 million plastic bottles are sold every minute with less than 10% of these being recycled what have you experience is the impact of these bottles on our oceans as well. We need to remember that plastic became very, very popular in the 1950s. So 70 years ago, and we're only now really starting to realise the impacts of those decisions that were made back then, 70 years. But I also find it quite distressing uh, to believe we're only at 9%, 10% recycling rate over those 70 years, despite all of those recycling awareness programs that we had in the 1980s, 1990s, as we were growing up as kids, separating all of your rubbish and things like that. Despite all of that, we're still only at 9 to 10%. And so from the moment those water bottles were created, they are still on our They have not degraded, you know, they have not disintegrated. They haven't gone anywhere but either landfill because somebody's put them in the bin. They've been able to be recycled, some of those, how many do you say? 100? 1 million every Yeah, 1 million plastic bottles one every minute. 1 million, 1 minute. And only 10% of those actually able to be recycled or are recycled. Yeah. And then you have the confusion of people who don't understand about recycling as well, where you've got a different plastic resin in the cap of the, of the plastic bottle and in the bottle itself, so they're not separating it and people just go, oh, I can't recycle that. And even the label is exactly. a different yeah. one. Another one yeah. as well. And so what's been happening throughout these 70 years is that plastic is actually just breaking down. It's not, as I said, going anywhere. If it's in the ocean, it's breaking down. And it's breaking down into microplastics, which is a massive issue in our oceans at the moment. And the microplastics are being consumed now by fish, which humans then in turn eating. And we're starting to become a lot more aware of the human impacts of the toxins that are inbuilt in plastic when it is created and when it's being leached out throughout 70 years of it being in the ocean. Consuming all of the chemicals that's also in the ocean and everything else that's bad that has also been put into the ocean as well. So it's having a major, major issue and a major impact not just on the environment, but also potentially on humans as well. We're starting to see cancers being connected to plastics. Plastic bottles, who, which is even just newly being developed, having microplastics in the bottle itself when it's provided to you, whether it's been delivered to your house because it's been out in the sun, 
or whatever. So BPAs is obviously another concern that people had about plastic and the chemicals that inhibit us to our own hormones and development. Um, there is massive issues with plastic bottles and, you know, it's really get, great to see glass and here today. But that's another thing that I'm also wanting to touch on is that this, the solutions currently in terms of what we do with plastic are really simple because we look back to what happened before the 1950s. And what did our grandparents do before plastic became popular? There's nothing new that really needs to be developed. Although I do hope development does take place because we need it. But whilst it is not here right now, in 2018, 70 years after plastic was first made popular, let's look at the things we can do while we wait for the industry and we wait for government policy to catch up on the issue. Yeah, definitely. I feel glass is something that, and, you know, just to use reusable items instead of just using single-use items, because if you think on average, how much litre of water would you drink? And if you buy those 500 mils and that is what you use in your house, can you imagine how much plastic that's going to be in one month? Yeah. So, yeah, and also when looking at all of these plastics and when we hear about the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, it's now three times the size of France. You know, I feel that at some point we need to do more and we need to try and find ways how we can not have the, have the plastic reach to that point. Mm -hmm. You know, what can we do at home? And one of the things that, that I feel is important is education. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel it's such a vital, vital role. And I wanted to check with you, you know, from Azurac's point of view, what are you guys doing towards this education? And will we be seeing some more programs from your side as well to educate people on these? Absolutely. We've been doing our first presentation that we got approved by Community Development Authority was based on marine debris. And when we actually got approval for that uh, presentation to be rolled out, we started approaching schools, but also had schools approach us because we were already sort of marketing, I guess, through social media, what our three main tiers were for the UAE. So upon arriving to the UAE, although my specialty is sharks, Marine debris was very much an issue. It's an issue globally, but it's, it's very much an issue that sort of confronted me right back and centre. Uh, the recycling also, too, doesn't help in terms of the UAE being a very newly developed country where you've got Europe and Australia, well, not even Australia, Australia's been in New York 200 years or so, but the recycling has been able to catch up with development. Where the UAE has been focused on getting the housing and the buildings and um, the words are trying to fail me right now, but the roads and the schools and all of those other things that are important for us to be able to live, work, recreate. And the, the environment takes the, the, the second step to that. Although we try, I know that they have tried to get them to work. Yeah, hand in hand. So those things that are probably in the last 18 months, I've started to see a big change or a swing to awareness on this topic. So we spent, as we were trying to get everything right for ASRAC, a long time raising awareness, getting that presentation right. And now that presentation is being delivered at schools. But we're also working on, as we're currently in a school break, our programs and workshops, whereby the awareness is greater, I believe, when you're being able to see firsthand, touch firsthand some of the things that my presentation already discusses. And we're actually in a process now of speaking with our volunteers 
who are interested in, in attending schools to be able to reach out because currently it's just been me presenting those. And so we want to be able to reach out further than what we have currently. And so that's something we're also working on. So absolutely. We that's are wonderful. very much on space. And as Rack has previously done a screening of straws that, and you guys have joined the Stop Sucking movement in the UAE, would you mind sharing a little bit more about that whole initiative? Absolutely. Stop Sucking grew as a program or an initiative in the US. And a wonderful man by the name of Ian O'Han from Freedom Pizza um, happened to call me in February. Oh, sorry, it would mean maybe January this year. And we were in the process of getting Azraq up and running at that time. And he said to me that he wanted to focus on removing plastic straws from his operations and plastic cutlery and whether or not it would be something that we would support. It was a no-brainer for me. Like, the very fact that straws take around 200 years plus to potentially start breaking down. And we're using, in America alone, approximately 500 million a day. That number is something like 46,600 school buses a day full of plastic straws going, being used a day. is just mind-boggling. So it took me a nanosecond to go back to Ian and say, absolutely, this would be something that we would support. And we would sing your changes from the rooftops um, where we could in terms of um, what you were doing. And they then challenged others to follow their, their lead. But we've taken that a little bit further. So we've decided that the challenge is there. That's great. But let's see what individuals can do as well. So we joined Ian hand in hand and started having stainless steel straws made available to individuals in the UAE so they could make a change themselves as well as having form letters that they can download from our website and leave at a food outlet to say, would you consider changing from plastic straws to an alternative? And this is all the information that you need to sign and send it through to ASRAP's admin. And then once again, we would sing their praises through our website and through social media. But it's got to the stage where now we can almost start saying to people, if you want to go to a place, if plastic straw is something that you are wanting to give up and you want to go to a place that is on the same mind wave as you, then these are the places we can recommend that you go. And it's on our website. Now they don't have to worry about whether or not they have to take their glass or bamboo or stainless steel yeah. straw. It's already going to have an alternative available to them. I like to take mine. I take mine. I've got glass straws and I've got stainless steel straws. I prefer my little glass straw because I feel it's got a little bit more style and sophistication about it. Yeah, I've recently started with the glass. Right. I, I love really like it. And yeah. so I've got different coloured glass ones and I really like it. And so I actually have really enjoyed having the glass straws. But in saying that, since making the decision to go and refuse plastic straws, I've only ever had to use an alternative twice. So uh, my first protocol is to say, no, thank you. I don't want a plastic straw. And even that, when I first started, was very difficult for me. It wasn't something that I used to saying. But I, I'm mindful of how the waste start feel. And I felt as though I was, for some reason making them feel bad. Mm-hmm. And then I had a wait staff who had was very sort of ashamed, who had they felt as though they had shamed me. And but she was so glad that I cared about the environment and that was the reasons why I've been involved in marine conservation and I've seen some turtles that have seen plastic straws up their noses and people like, Oh yes, I think this is a great idea and, and so I felt more comfortable the more I got into that habit. And that's what it really comes down to a lot, Mariska, is 
making a habitual change. Exactly. You are saying no to plastic straws to begin with and then saying the reasons why and then all of a sudden you feel so comfortable it comes like it's, it's second nature. And so my drawers are in my bag. I have them with me all the time. It is second nature. I don't have to think about it. I've got them in a nice little pack and they're there if I need them. But the first protocol for me is always say no. Yeah, and one thing that for me also, I strongly believe in that we as consumers also kind of vote every single day with our money. When I look at that list of restaurants that's on board, I immediately, you know, when I order my takeout pizza, it's going to be from Freedom Pizza because not because I absolutely love their beatnik pizza, it's the best, <laughs> but because I know Ian is on this path and what I stand for, Ian stands for. So I will much rather support him. You know, so when I do want to go to an awesome restaurant, I will go to one of the Jamera Group restaurants that's already on the list. It kind of makes it easier every time. And I feel by approaching these people, and if you really have your favorite restaurant, you give them one of these letters and they still feel, listen, I'm not going to do anything about this. You know, my people want plastic straws. I'm going to vote with my money and I'm no longer going to support them. Yeah. And I'm going to find another restaurant that's most probably going to become my next favorite yeah. restaurant. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel it is in our consumer's power to make changes as well. Absolutely. And this is something that I saw when I first started those rallies around the sharks. The power of the individuals, the power of the people. We forget sometimes how powerful our voices and our decisions can actually be. I didn't realise at the time when I organised that rally that I was taking on powerful governments at that time. And by having 36,000 people hand in an objection to what the government was doing, we were able to stop those drum lines from being rolled out again in Western Australia. And so the power that people have is huge, and that's what I'm hoping to replicate on these issues as well. And it's baby steps. The plastic straw is not going to solve all of the issues that we have in terms of oceans, but I tell you what, the awareness that it creates, the snowball effect that it takes is huge. And if you go to some of these places that have said, no, I'm ditching the plastic straw, or I'm only going to provide it on the quest, it's already a conversation starter for someone who hasn't been on the journey that you've been. And you're saying, I'm coming here today, and you have an opportunity to have a knock-on effect to them who have a knock-on effect to someone else. Only just recently I had my mother-in-law who lives in Australia come visit. She was visiting both my, my husband and her other son in Germany, and they followed the conversation over in Germany, and she's saying at the restaurant in Germany, no plastic straws, please. And so it doesn't take a lot, and sometimes we can feel really overwhelmed. I know that you're in space as much as I am, and it can feel sometimes really overwhelming the amount of work that we feel like we have to do. But we do have to stop sometimes and say, you know what? We're making an impact. Exactly. small. But I know and I can see it and it, it's what drives me and motivates me and continues to do the work that I'm doing now. Every time I hear somebody say another restaurant's gone plastic straw free, it's a huge win for us because one plastic straw may not mean a lot to us, but their operations and how much plastic straws they are going to reduce 
in Key Canada or she's in Key Canada is the countless. I can't I wish I could actually get a number of how many plastic straws the Stop Sucking Initiative in the UAE has stopped. And that's kudos to Ian and of course the hard work of the volunteers and our team in Azraq who have got behind him and driven this. And and all of the consumers as well that are also on board and supporting. So hats off to everybody. It's one plastic straw that you may be giving up, but it's huge. It is a big role. And it also leads to all the other stuff because now it's a plastic straw, now it's your plastic bag. And before you know it, you've given up how many plastic single-use items. You're also involved with the butts stink, Mm. the cigarette butts. Mm -hmm. How does that go about? Yeah, so part of our coastal cleanups that we offer for beach cleanups for individuals and corporates and schools. Another awareness campaign for us was raising knowledge in terms of cigarette butts having a cup of plastic inside the butt itself which is called cellulose acetate and so it doesn't biodegrade it doesn't break down well it breaks down like like single use everyday plastic does but it takes decades for that process to take place and so when you go to the beach particularly uh, here where you've got uh, people who are outside the front of the hotel cleaning the beach a lot of people say you know this beach is clean well, I can guarantee you it won't take me very long to find cigarette butts. Even when I have somebody come up to the urban park near where I live and they're garbage, uh, the cleaners from the municipality are cleaning. After they've cleaned, I can always find cigarette butts, you know, along the path that they've just they're cleaned. One of the most horrible small things that are just everywhere, just everywhere, 30 to 40% of what we clean up on a coastal cleanup or even an urban cleanup is cigarette butts. It's the number one item that we find in coastal cleanups. Wow. And people don't realise that cigarette butts are a plastic. They are a single-use plastic. And just like straws, it is so easy for that to stop going into the oceans. We need to say no. Exactly. Giving up smoking, never even taking it up in the first place would be the the first one. It's great for your health and it's it's a benefit to the environment as well. The very fact that these toxins are so close to the marine animals I love and the marine environment that we rely on for our life support system, for our breath that we take, whether we've got these toxins so well either in or nearby that coastline. I don't know, it, it pulls me, it makes me very, very sad. And, and again, this is the overwhelming feeling that I have, that I can't really do a lot about it. But our Butt Skin campaign was all about raising the awareness of this. And one of the things that I do with my marine presentation, my marine debris presentation, is go through the top 10 items. But before I do, that we find because it's not. But before I do, I always ask everyone, so what do you see? What do you think are the 10 top items that we see? And it used to be very rarely I would hear cigarette butts pop up. <laughs> and now I'm hearing it all the time. So, and it's from students to corporates. I used to never hear it. We may have made an impact there as well. As I don't know, but I know that we are after the presentation has been delivered. That's amazing. I, for one, you know, if I see people drop a cigarette butt, either pick it up and, you know, address 
the issue. And I mean, I don't expect people to get into a fight yes. with someone that yes. dropped a cigarette butt. But, you know, I feel that we as individuals, again, you know, can inform these people about what that would do. Some people might care, some people won't. But, you know, together, we can definitely make a difference on this. Mm. I wanted to ask you as well, what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around Mama Earth? So the most important decision I made was actually leaving my corporate role and and deciding that I was going to follow my gut feel and my heart uh, and do something about something I'm very passionate about because that I'm now passion driven rather than clocking on and clocking off and that passion I feel is infectious only been able to achieve the things I've achieved by following my heart and I've achieved a hell of a lot more than I did in my corporate job and I'm doing it for all good reasons and that's my legacy I don't have children but I was very very big for a long time about leaving a legacy and if my legacy is about creating awareness then I'm on that path and so, Mama Earth, that's my contribution back. Well, that's amazing. And definitely that is something that I can see that you are doing. You've already left your mark in Australia and now here in the UAE as well. Now for our final five, I'm going to ask you just these simple questions and you can just answer them. So, the first one is, what is one social media account that... Yes. So that I'm a big follow? fan of Sylvia Girls. So, Mission Blue is one that I follow and I'm a big fan of. Okay. And the second one is, what is your hope for Mama Earth going forward? Wow. See, I have a lot of hope. And that's something that, I know it's meant to be a quick five, but uh, I have a lot of hope. And that's something that sometimes we don't feel in what we do. I have a lot of hope in our next generation. I have some amazing young children out there who are impacted by the decisions. Um, there's some amazing young children out there who have been impacted by the decisions of their forefathers. And they're going to be left with, a, unfortunately, the destruction that we've caused and they're passionate as well and they're creating they're inventing things that our fathers our forefathers never really thought about so my hope is in the younger children the younger generation able to one day leave better life to them a better mama earth to them and that the world is left behind for the next generations in a better shape than what it currently is and what's being left to currently to the next generation and what advice can you give our crazy birds this week to help out mama earth okay so see as though it's uh, plastic free July, I'm going to say refuse the straw. Refuse the plastic straw. It's one of the easiest things that you can do in terms of giving up a single use plastic item and follow your heart. And what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainability journey? There are so many and it depends, but I'm going to have to go to the fact that there's 8 billion tonnes of plastic marine debris being emptied into our oceans yearly. And basically, if you can't imagine what that would be, it's a five plastic bags full of rubbish is every foot of the coastline is five plastic bags full of rubbish being going into the ocean every single day. Wow, that's... Oh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, every single year. Every single year. Wow, 
Where can people find you? So Azraq, me. So Azraq Middle East is available on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And we also have our website, azraqme.org. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thank you so much for being on the podcast and for sharing your knowledge. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that's learned a lot of new facts. And just keep on doing what you're doing and make a difference. Thank you, Mariska. It's been been great to be able to speak with you on this. And fantastic questions and amazing research (laughs) and that's a wrap thank you so much for listening you can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com follow at design by mariska on instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com and let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about i love hearing from all you crazy birds New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus Top Tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.